Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for Believe in Me. Uh, Luke 22:23-24. I will be discussing lessons 13 and 14. I am on page 75. It's time for us to remember with praise and thanksgiving that Jesus died in my place. This is a sacred mystery. How can anyone truly describe what was both horrific and majestic? A condemnation and a salvation, an act of judgment and an act of love, a mortal death and a supernatural sacrifice. Um, I'm looking at the prayer prompt in the middle there, and it's just a reminder that what happened on the cross is only understood when the Holy Spirit enlightens us and gives us understanding of deep spiritual things of God. So um, I just want to continue to pray that He, the Holy Spirit, will give us um, deeper understanding and um, stronger love and faith and obedience um, as a result of what we understand. Also, I would add that as we enter this lesson, and, and you did this but already because you've worked through the lesson, but we are to use our minds and our hearts as we seek to know and understand God and His ways. And I'm saying that because I've just said the Holy Spirit will enlighten us. Well, that doesn't mean that we just sit and um, kind of go off into dreamland, but we open our eyes and we read, we read the text, we look at the details, and in the details, in the um, consideration, it is not, it is not an academic exercise, even though it is. So uh, this may seem to be a strange start to this lesson and comments that I'm making, but um, we are looking at, like the first question is what details are given. So these details, we're taking in the information that God has given us and all of these things are what he uses to help us grasp the, the deep things of God. Okay, so <clears throat> we are going to answer that first question. What details are given in Luke 23:33? Are there many or few details given? Um actually few details given. But as I listed them out, I saw that that's almost answering journalistic type questions. Who, what, there's not a when, but where, who, what, where. I mean, who? They, who were leading the procession, so they, the guards, and um, Jesus and criminals and Simon are there. They came to a place, where? A place called the Skull. And who did what? They, the guards, crucified him, Jesus, and criminals. So um, those are the, the basic details. Um, 
I noted on this, which you might have discussed, but it stood out to me as I was on this particular verse this time, that I just found it curious that Luke noted the very specific detail that the criminals were on the right and the left. I'm like, huh, why did he say that? Um, Well, this is the kind of very specific historical detail that gives validity to your testimony. So there's that. And it sounds like there was an eyewitness who saw what happened that he got this information from. But also, by noting this, what it does for us is, um, and as you drew your pictures in your last lesson, we see that Jesus is the central figure. He's the one in the middle, the most important. In Jewish writing, Hebrew writing, the center is the focal point. Uh, This is the chiasm where you've got um, something that leads to and where's the middle. So the middle is a very focal point. But also, Jesus is one of the criminals. He's just in the middle being crucified by Rome and the Jews like everybody else. So while while he's the central figure, he's also just being treated like a criminal. Those were just reflections that I had when I came to those two, those, those words on the right and the left. Um, you don't have to do anything with that. But there you have it. The place of the skull in Aramaic, Golgotha, 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 that's how we say it now, and Calvary. We noted that seven statements from Jesus as he hung on the cross were recorded in the Gospels. And the first statement is in Luke. What did Jesus say when he was crucified, according to Luke 23, 34? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And he's talking about the guards who are crucifying him. And we see the grace of God, the grace of God um, given through Jesus' prayer right here. Who is taking the action? Jesus is... um, Taking, taking the action, asking for God to forgive them. And I hope and I think that we will probably, I mean, I, how, do I, how do I know? But um, if Jesus prayed for God to forgive those guards, and if the guards heard that and saw all that happened, I think we're going to see some of those guards in heaven. At the top of page 76, Isaiah 53, 12 was a prophecy of the suffering servant. What did it foretell and how was that fulfilled based on Luke 23, 33 through 34? Your ladies might just read the whole verse. If they just wrote the whole verse, that's fine. We want to point out three specific main things that were fulfilled um, because all of this verse, there's, um, there's resurrection and victory, but there's also the aspects of his death. So the part of his death that was fulfilled as he's hanging on the cross, is um, he submitted himself to death and he was counted among the rebels. So he's hung in between the criminals and he interceded for the rebels. We've just seen that. And of course, he's bearing the sin of many. So that's also going on. Um, I will share with you that I paused here and was just looking at these details and this verse is what 
prompted me to just be moved to tears. Um, he submitted himself to death. And um, you, you just don't know as we're going through this lesson what moved the ladies in the group. So um, for them to share things or for it to be hard for them to share, you might just be aware and prepared of that or even yourself. You, you may be surprised as you're leading the group of what might move you as you're talking about it. In the italics, you can see everyone close to the cross could hear Jesus calling God Father, which also indicated his relationship to him as son. So we now look at Jesus' identity in the next question. What other titles or aspects of Jesus' identity were, de were declared by those around Jesus, even if they did so with contempt? Um, he's called in verse 35, the Christ of God. Um, his chosen one, um, God's Messiah, God's Christ, the Lord's Christ. Um, he, in verse 37, is called the King of the Jews. You know, in verse 38 is a very clear, like, bold statement from Pilate. This is the King of the Jews. That's what was written on the, the thing above him. And verse 39, he's called the Christ. So, um, wow. If we were to hear this all in the same language, I think that uh, we might, I'm, I'm trying to, the, the word king or Christ, one of those words might be repeated. Um, Mashiach, I don't know if he would have said Mashiach of the Jews or uh, the Hebrew word is Melech. So Mashiach is Hebrew for Christ. And Melech is Hebrew for king. So at a minimum, you can see what's repeated in English. Okay, there's another word that's repeated in uh, these verses that stood out to me, and it was not uh, brought to your attention, but I might bring it to, my, to your attention in my lecture. He saved others. And I was like, wow, that's an interesting comment made by the onlooker. Um, and this word save is repeated in those verses, which I did say there at the end, in the taunt. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God. But that was possibly a temptation, and that's highlighted in the box. The devil wanted him to die, but not at this time and in this way. Satan made one last attempt to keep Jesus from the cross. Jesus, you can get yourself down. So he was, he was taunted and tempted that way. What did the Roman soldiers do, according to Luke 23, 33 through 34 and 36, 37? Uh, they crucified him and other criminals. They cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the soldiers mocked him. And the, the grammar of that verse is that the soldiers mocked him. So they did that. And then there's are three participles, meaning they mocked him by coming up to him and offering him and saying to him. So their mocking was, um, the, the coming up to him was not a kind thing. The offering, offering him sour wine was not a kind thing. Saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. That's not a kind thing. All of that was in their mock and was how they mocked him. On page 77, you have Psalm 22 that um, was prophecy 
of what Jesus would experience in his arrest and trials and crucifixion, and maybe even before the arrest in his Garden of Gethsemane trial uh, prayer. Um, and I've looked at this, and I'm wondering maybe, and you think about this for yourself, what if you have one lady per verse? Go, go around the circle and one person per verse. Read it. Just read it. So that all of this, because it's all, it's all describing Jesus on the cross. And you could, and I will do this, make some comments as they're going along of when, or you could ask them, you know, if you're reading this and it comes to mind of when this happened to Jesus, you could say this happened when he was whatever. So I'll just say verse two, when he says, I cry in the daytime and um, in the night season and I'm not silent. Well, I cry in the daytime and you do not hear. That would be related to the, my God, why have you forsaken me? And um, we, we don't see that verse in Luke, but we know he said that from the cross. So this is the um, time of his death during those three hours of darkness that is described. In the night season, I'm not silent. That could even refer to when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 6, I'm a reproach of man and despised by the people. We know that they mocked him and they rejected him. We've seen that many times. All those who see me ridicule me. That's more mocking. They shoot out the lip and shake the head saying, and so the people around him at the cross are, this This is a description of a behavior of shooting out the lip and shaking the head. It's just, they are, they're taunting him. And verse eight sounds like they said a good thing. I see it as being similar to the the taunts of save yourself let him save himself if he is the christ of god um, in verse 11 be not far from me god trouble is near there is none to help none to help he was deserted the disciples fled and and no one could help him um, he had to do this but Everyone, even when Pilate tried to help, he, he couldn't help him. Um, verse 12, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a rage, raging and roaring lion. So bulls and lions, these are enemies. And I have heard that the Roman soldiers' helmets have these uh, kind of, some of them have these Uh, not feathers, but something on the top of it that stands up anyway. can look like a lion's mane, not shaggy hanging down, but just that this could be um, giving us a visual of, a word picture of the enemy of the Roman soldiers. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water. You know he's going to be pierced and water and blood's going to come out. All my bones are out of joint. That so specifically describes what's going on on the cross as he's hanging. Um, My heart is like wax. Again, it's a word picture, wax melting. Um, The 
the blood and the water coming out. Oh, well, it says it's melted within me. So um, I can't describe that with the medical explanation, but there's a word picture there. And again, when he was pierced and the blood and water came out, this describes that. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. We didn't see it in this um, study in Luke. I didn't highlight it. But when he said, I thirst in one of the other gospels, that's showing the, the dryness and this tongue, you know, um, dehydration. You have brought me to the dust of death, brought to. So he is at death's door. And keep that in mind. I'm going to bring this up in the next page about when he actually died. Uh, for dogs have surrounded me. Dogs are often used to refer to Gentiles. So we know that. Congregation of the wicked. A congregation assembly, a gathering has enclosed me. That's everybody. You can put that, the religious leaders and all who are against him. They pierced my hands and feet. Clearly, that's on the cross. I can count all my bones. Um, they look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and my clothing. They cat for my clothing. They cast lots. So we've just read about that. But this seventeen and eighteen is, um, you could well it's counting all my bones. You can tell that one is from dehydration but also the ways hanging on the cross and also how can you see someone's bones they don't have any clothes on so this look and stare uh, divide my garments my clothing the romans regularly crucified people naked and there are quite a few things in all all the verses that lead us to see that being described as well. Not blatantly, bluntly, he hung naked on the cross, but there things like this, plus the knowledge that the Romans crucified people naked, uh, make us believe that he was uh, hanging naked on the cross. And I'll tell you that thinking about that is what has moved me to just... Um, the whole, everything is horrible, but that they would humiliate him that way is when he is the king who should be being uh, glorified and, and robed in splendor instead. Um, all of that is just, um, it's another sorrow for what he experienced. Okay, so under the, you can read the box if you need to. Um, underneath that, grief is uncomfortable. It is, however, appropriate to reflect, even emotionally, on the horrific anguish of Jesus' death. Um, and what is your reaction to the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross for you? We just should not allow ourselves to be numb to it because we also could then be numb to we, don't, we should not be numb to the grief of our own sin 
we need to feel things or or how other people sin don't be numb to others unbelievers sin and their situation and their eternal destiny um, without jesus so um again grief is uncomfortable pain we don't want pain but we should be moved by these things uh so you can i mean this bottom question is just open for sharing and some may want to share some may not they may say i just you know this is heavy and i it's very meaningful but i can't talk about it and that that's okay they don't have to talk about it but even sharing that it means so much and it's just hard to express all that's fine and some may be able to express it so i did have this um another thought as i was at this point in the lesson that being able to look at what happened to Jesus and not be stuck in just overwhelming grief. And I'm saying it is, it is a blessing to not be stuck there grieving. It is evidence of the Holy Spirit giving me life and joy and understanding because if I did not have the, the result of Jesus' death, the impact, the forgiveness, and the eternal life, then I would be stuck. My comprehension of the crucifixion of Jesus would leave me depressed and, um, and just and grieving. So I understand, and, and this moves me as well, that those who are unbelievers who see the death of a loved one, they can stay stuck there because they have nothing to go to, no hope. Um, and, and we have so much of how we look at death now because of the death of Jesus. At the top of page 78, what details about the day of Jesus' crucifixion are noted in Luke 23, 44 and 45? It was about the sixth hour, and that's noon, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, and that's about three o'clock. The sun was obscured, and the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two. You can do what you want to do in the box. Um, I would read what's underneath it. The darkened skies proclaimed what no man could understand at that moment. Jesus bore the wrath of God. And then his work was complete. Tetelestai. That's, uh, you hope you've heard that word before. Tetelestai. And I just say it fast. Tetelestai. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. John 19.30. The supernatural ripping of the temple veil from top to bottom also proclaimed the way into the holy presence of God. This veil was thick and heavy, so for it to rip from the top to bottom, that was a strange thing. No, and it was really uh, uh, big and tall and high, and it wasn't like someone could reach up to the top of it and touch it. So to rip from the top was, was a supernatural thing. What did the death of Jesus provide, according to the following verses? What did it provide? That's what we're looking for. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 provided hope. 
It provided an anchor for our soul and provided Jesus the forerunner. He entered the presence behind the veil. The presence. I love how that is. I mean, it's really fascinating. In my Bible, it's capitalized. It's referring to God, God's presence. But he entered the presence, the holy presence of God. And Jesus became high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Don't get hung up on Melchizedek. Um, so just don't even go there. Jesus is high priest forever. That's what the order of Melchizedek is, just in a nutshell. High priest forever. And so Jesus will be the high priest in the millennial kingdom. Wow. And so Jesus' death provided him as the perfect high priest who did the ultimate work of providing atonement. And we will always be approaching Yahweh by the work and the blood of Jesus, our high priest. That's just fascinating when you really start thinking about Jesus as our high priest, which we can't spend a lot of time doing in this lesson. Do that in Hebrews. It's, it's wonderful. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. Uh, Jesus obtained, he provided eternal redemption by coming as our high priest. He obtained eternal redemption by entering the most holy place. That's the holy of holies. That's God's presence. Um, it's referring to what was in the tabernacle, the temple. And he did it once for all, and that means once for all time. And he did it with his own blood. So all that's a explanation of what we were just talking about in the Hebrews 6 passages. And then there's uh, more description of this, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Jesus provided a new and living way for us through the veil. And again, the veil is talking about what was hanging at first the tabernacle, then the temple. It was ripped in two, but that you know, on earth. But these Hebrew verses are talking about the veil, uh, the, the way, the door, if you want to just have something that we use, the barrier that was between man and God. And Jesus has provided a way through that barrier, which was the veil uh, on earth. It was given through his flesh, which is his blood. And so I wrote it this way. Jesus provided access for us to enter the Holy of Holies with boldness. Uh, he provided cleansing. He sprinkled our hearts and our bodies clean and he cleansed us from evil, from our evil consciences. And he provided full assurance. So those are the ways that I answered those questions. Um, if someone reads the verses, that's lovely. But just try to point out the specific points. At the top of page 79, how did Jesus demonstrate his total surrender and trust in God? According to Luke 23, 46. I'm just realizing that I have been reading through and I've given some instructions about going around the circle on the um, passage on the page before. But overall, I think that might be a good way to go through these lessons just to, um, it, it depends on your group, but as to whether they talk if you think people might be slow and hesitant or um, 
reluctant to share, even because this could be um, emotional. I think going around the room might help that situation as we're discussing this lesson and the next. Just go around the circle. Okay, so top of page 79. How did Jesus demonstrate his total surrender and trust in God? According to Luke 23, 46, he cried out with a loud voice, Father, so this is now showing us that the relationship is full on. There's no disconnect. He's not saying, this is not my God, why have you forsaken me? This is Father. Um, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. And I am learning that this is so, I mean, everything's fascinating and wonderful, but wow. So the box I um, maybe kind of like, what am I supposed to understand about that? But let me talk about it. <laughs> it was not death which approached Christ, but Christ who approached death. He died without death. That's the weird part. But the first two fr- I mean, phrases, it was not death which approached Christ, but Christ who approached death. Okay, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus basically commanded his body to experience mortal death. Meaning, and what we're seeing in all this is, death didn't come take him. He gave himself to, he gave his body, his mortal body, to death. Still, this is, all of this is sacred mystery, but I've also written it. I mean, we we know Jesus gave up his life. He commanded death to come. So death didn't show up and say, I'm here to get you. Uh, uh, Jesus said, I am going to let my body die now. It was his choice. It was his decision at that time, at that perfect moment to do it himself. Okay. So what aspect of Luke's record of Jesus' sacrifice stands out or is most meaningful to you? If y'all have been talking about this already, um, then you may not need to, you just need to recognize as a leader whether you've already been really answering that question. For me, verses 44, 45, and 46 are three simple verses and that just has stood out as being those three sentences are the profound declaration of what Jesus did. Just so short, but it's eternally uh, <laughs> what? Significant, it's more than significant. I mean, everything about eternity is based on these three on our eternity past and eternity future that's very much on my mind okay well now we get to rejoice with the centurion what did he say and why did he say it according to luke 23:47 and mark 15:39 the centurion said certainly this man was righteous and truly this man was the son of god so I'm thankful for that. I'm so glad this centurion could see. And he responded with awe. And I hope that you too have been in awe of what Jesus did for you. 
I know I'm in awe of what he did for me. And it has moved me to uh, greater adoration and to such thankfulness for who he is. I like what's in the box. You can do what you want to do in the box. Um, kind of at the bottom where it says the Lamb of God. That's what I've really highlighted a lot. And then I just prayed and said thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Now I'm going to go uh, where he has just died. So we're going to the next lesson, 14. He died and he was buried with honor. And don't rejoice that he had to experience the suffering, uh, the grief that we've seen, the sorrow. But I do love this of how these, um, as the third italics um, paragraph at the beginning says, two men and several women revealed their love for Jesus immediately after his death. They took action and were used by God to fulfill prophecy as well as honor their Messiah. So seeing how they took care of him, uh, it, it's, it's just so beautiful. You looked at the passage and we considered who was there at the cross, according to Luke 23, 49. Jesus, my version said Jesus' acquaintances. I just thought that was strange and I didn't go any further with it. But Jesus' acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance. The beloved disciple John was also there. What details did he record in John 19? 31 through 37. There are a lot of details here. Sorry, I didn't give you more room. It was the preparation day, which is the day before the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a high day. Um, just even right here, I will tell you at the top of page 81, don't get bogged down in what day of the week it was. I just don't want to... I want to keep our, our thoughts on he died... And he's buried, and how did they behave? So I really don't want to get bogged down on what day of the week and the, the three days thing. So we're told by John that the bodies were not to remain on the cross on the Sabbath. So definitely had to come down before Saturday, the Sabbath. And that means that by Friday night, I know I'm not supposed to be talking about these days, um, whether he died on Thursday and Friday was a Sabbath and Saturday was a Sabbath, or if he died on Friday and they're getting him off the cross before the Saturday Sabbath. So those are the two ideas that we're dealing with. But anyway, the Jews asked Pilate for bodies to, for all the bodies. So multiple Jews, the the, and this word bodies was plural. Their legs were to be broken and taken away. So the criminal's legs were broken. And then they went to Jesus and he was already dead. So somebody else is taking away the criminal's bodies. The Jews are not going to leave those Jewish criminal's bodies on the cross. And then we know specifically in the next that Joseph and other, Joseph's the one talking to Pilate about Jesus. So, 
The soldier pierced Jesus' side with the spear. Blood and water came out. This fulfilled scripture so that no none of his bones would be broken. Um, and fulfilled scripture that he would be pierced. Okay. Behold, what surprising thing happened according to Luke 23, 50 through 52, Mark and John. Luke says, behold. And I just wondered if it crossed Luke's mind that the Theophilus that he was writing to, who it, they've said he's a Greek, but I've also heard Theophilus could have been um, a, a priest. I don't, anyway, Joseph of Arimathea. This is a surprising thing. That's what Luke is saying. Guess what? Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin, had not consented to the decision and the deed. And he was waiting for the kingdom of God. So this is, this is a, a surprising, fascinating, exciting thing that Luke is drawing attention to. And he asked for the body of Jesus. Did Theophilus know Joseph or did he not know about it and now he's hearing about it? I don't know. Just was pondering the the emphasis that that Luke makes with the behold because it does emphasize Joseph. Mark tells us that Pilate marveled that Jesus was already dead, and Joseph took fine linen and he took Jesus down and he wrapped him in the linen and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock. And John tells us that Joseph asked Pilate. And Nicodemus came to the tomb. That's another behold kind of statement. Isn't it great? I don't know if John said behold. Nicodemus brought myrrh and aloes, spices, a hundred pounds. And they bound Jesus' body with strips of linen, as is the custom of the Jews. And they laid him in the new tomb in the garden. And that was nearby. Um. At the top of page 81, don't get stuck hanging on the day of the week. It's important to note that Joseph and Nicodemus and the women all perfectly observe the important commandment that no body should remain on a cross on a Sabbath day. At the time of Jesus' death, those who followed Jesus acted quickly to prepare his body for a Jewish burial. And now the next thing, two sentences really are important. They did what was normally done for the dead. There is no indication that anyone was expecting his resurrection. Think, I, I just paused here I, myself. If I expected Jesus' resurrection, I would not have wrapped his body in a hundred pounds of spices and uh, put him in a tomb and rolled the t- stone in front of him. I would have thought, well, if he's going to rise from the dead, he's going to want to, like, be able to sit up and walk out. And how's he going to move the stone? And I don't want all this um, weight on him and don't want him to be bound like a mummy. They'd seen Lazarus. Jesus called Lazarus out. And when he, he did, he was able to walk out. And Jesus like, unwrap him. So um, anyway, this is still just emphasizing nobody was expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. If there was any hope 
then maybe it would have been like, well, he'll rise from the dead in the last days when we all rise from the dead. I want to give at least maybe if anybody's like, he said it, but they did not believe. He told them three days and they're not acting like they believed he's going to rise in three days. What did the women see regarding the body of Jesus based on Luke 23, 53 and 55? So the women were standing at a distance of the cross and they were able to see Joseph and Nicodemus and the linen wrappings and the tomb and how his body was laid there. Maybe they even helped a little bit. It doesn't say that. Seems that they were watching. It seems that, but we, I don't know. We know Joseph and Nicodemus did this um, together, preparing his body at that point. And we know that the women are going to come back later. So based on all the details from all four Gospels, we should have no doubt that Jesus truly died on the cross. His death had many witnesses. So here we are. The Messiah was dead. The prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled. I think this is another opportunity to go around the circle and just have one verse per person. You don't really need to comment on anything, but I, you can decide for yourself, but... I think that it could be good to just read through this passage, one verse per person. Okay, so after reading that, if you want to just a summary, Isaiah 53, 8 prophesied that the Messiah would be cut off, which meant that he would die. There were many prophecies of his suffering, but this was the first mention of the Messiah's death, in context where those understood that the servant is the Messiah and the Messiah is going to die. We're familiar with the idea, but when we see it in Isaiah here, as it was prophesied in Isaiah, this is the first time that it shows up. It's repeated by Daniel. Okay, so that would be after Isaiah. We have a discussion question just open for um, multiple answers. What do you believe? Why is it important to understand that Jesus actually died? I have um, answered it by saying that he was... Um, oh, okay. Death. There had to be death uh, because it was the penalty for some sins according to God's laws, the Torah. Penalty for some sins was death. And it had, he had to die because that was God's plan. It had to be fulfilled. That's just the way he said it was going to be. He had to die because sacrifice and blood was required by God. That's the same thing as me saying that God's plan had to be fulfilled, and that's the way God said it would be. Um, and then he had to die because... Death of our physical mortal bodies, the actual death has to be overcome. Because what happened to Jesus' body, his human body, has not ever happened as one from God's power. Just He rose from the dead. That hadn't happened before. Jesus brought people, he gave people life and they will die again. So they haven't had a 
the the resurrection that Jesus has had because Jesus is resurrected to a glorified body. And I'm not at that stage and we got to get to that later after his resurrection. But that's what I'm thinking about here. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, he was raised back to his mortal human life. And he's, his that mortal body had to die again. So Jesus' resurrected body is different from anybody else's body. Um, okay, so I also wrote it this way, that basically with Jesus' death, there were kind of two steps. Uh, step one was his payment on the cross. So the receiving the payment of death. And step two was the defeat of death itself by his resurrection. So he had to die to be able to defeat death. I, I think this is, again, in the sacred mystery. And I, it's something to just kind of sit and think about and ponder regarding death. And there is a sting of death. And Jesus dying and rising again is taken away the sting of death. We have noted that Joseph, Nicodemus, and the women all lovingly cared for the body of Jesus with no anticipation of his resurrection. They went home and rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. They are shown to be faithful followers of Jesus and faithful followers of God's law. And in contrast, we have the chief priests and Pharisees. What did they do on the Sabbath according to Matthew 27? They went to Pilate, all gathered together, and they said, We remembered how the deceiver said, After three days I will rise. They wanted Pilate to secure, to seal the tomb until the third day. So Pilate said, You've got a guard. Here's a guard. They went and took them, secured, sealed the stones. Obviously, the chief priests and Pharisees are looking, watching, setting the guard, making sure this is locked down tight. We got evidence here we're okay we feel good um, it didn't do any good did it um, go to the bottom of the page what did jesus promise in matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 he promised rest he said come to me all you who are who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you you will find rest for your souls my yoke is easy my burden is light and the last question on the page is have you or on page 83 have you found rest for your soul through jesus what heavy burdens have you laid down and i was glad just to be able to think of that the rest and the freedom that jesus has given me and I've been able to lay down things like sadness and fear and worry and performance and uh, seeking approval and the duty, obligation, work. Um, now I have freedom to do and to want to do and obey. And, and most of all, the reason I have rest is because it's not me at work. It is the Holy Spirit doing the work in me. Thank you, Jesus. Well, the sun has set and the Sabbath rest begins. That's a picture of what Jesus has accomplished. 
His work is done to Telestai. And in a sense, he rests. Our empty done. That through his salvation, our empty works are done and we rest. And Luke ends the simple yet painful telling of, his, of Jesus' crucifixion with quietness. And I'm looking forward to the next page. I hope this has been a meaningful time of reflection and study slowly of what Jesus did for you. Thank you again for your leadership of your groups. Thank you.